This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, the podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I have the double delight of speaking uh, with uh, Dr. Heike uh, Oberlin, uh, who's Associate Professor at the University of Tübingen, as well as Dr. David Schulman, who is Professor Emeritus at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. They are both co-editors of a, a rich, fascinating uh, a new OUP publication called um, uh, Two Masterpieces of Gutiatum. Um, welcome to the podcast, Bo. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Sure. So let, let's start with, you know, what is this funny word in, in the title of your book, this, 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 Kurtiatum? Like, what is this? Someone want to educate me on that? Thank you. Well, um, yeah, it's, um, it is a Dravidian word, Kurti, Artam. So Kurti, together, Artam, playing, acting, um, performing something, so performing together. And usually the proper Kuriatam in the Kuriatam Sanskrit theater complex, this is, um, well, it's the the only uh, traditional Sanskrit theater that um, survived on the whole of the Indian subcontinent for at least about a thousand years. And um, in this complex, we have flashbacks, we have um, solo parts, and usually the last, the final days of a performance, which lasts for many days, uh, where we finally have more than one performer on stage. This is the Kuriatam part. So when um, more than one, so two or three or more actors perform together. This is uh, the most common explanation. There are others also around. Sure. There, there were a number of fascinating things that I learned about. Of course, I, I learned a great deal about many, uh, about much because, you know, you know uh, relatively rare are the monographs on, uh, you know, the Puranas or the, the Devi Mahatma. Um, so there's much to be learned. Uh, fascinating to learn that this, this dance form uh, has survived for over a thousand years and that it's considered uh, the only surviving tradition of, of, of Sanskritic dance culture. Could you say a little bit more about that? Um, Sanskrit drama, I think we might say. I mean, there's, it's true that there's movement also and some music um, and a lot of drumming, which is really very important on these big Gimiravi drums. Um, but uh, this, um, I mean, the, if you ask the actors themselves, they will tell you proudly that they are in a direct continuous line going back to the Natya Shastra, which is something like the first or second century AD. And that is the handbook for um, dramaturgy, acting, and everything connected to that. And it's true that there are features in Kuriyatam which are indeed very archaic and which we know from the Natya Shastra. But actually, as we know it today, 
Uh, Kudiyattam is very much of a Kerala, South Indian art. Uh, it has all kinds of specific characteristics which depart from the Natya Shastra rules. Um, so it's a kind of, um, you could say it's a kind of mix of some very, very ancient and archaic features with other features that evolved in the course of the medieval period. There's a tradition within within Kudiyattam that there was a king, Kulashekara, who uh, made substantial innovations in the way that theater was meant to be performed. He's talking about Sanskrit theater. And so certain features that are unique to Kuriyatam or highly characteristic of Kuriyatam, which we don't see elsewhere, um, are attributed um, retrospectively to this uh, Kula Shekara. Whether or not he was the person who actually made the change, we can't say, but it's more likely, I think, that there were several generations of very radical experimentation by the Chakyar artists, uh, which produced the form of Kuryatam as we know it today. And I mean, there's more we can say about this form. I suppose we ought to say, for example, just one thing, these tend to be rather long performances, at least by Western standards. I mean, the shortest is about 12 hours. And the longest, which we'll be talking about a bit today, Mantrangam, is something like 140 or 150 hours, you know. So they're kind of, I mean, in our, to a Western audience, let us say, or even to a North Indian audience, or perhaps today, even to a Kerala audience, they might seem to be rather long, you know. Well, on, on the one hand, we have much shorter attention spans uh, in general these days. But, you know, there's something to be said about anyone who's watched a Bollywood movie knows that <laughs> the ability to immerse oneself. Uh, somehow is augmented in the Indic context, uh, but nevertheless, perhaps one can view this as a a real time uh, uh, um, uh, binging of content. <laughs> um, what uh, inspired you uh, to 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 collect these these studies? What what's the backstory behind this volume? Thank you. I think we have yeah both different uh, backstories how we came to Kudiatam. So um, when I start with mine, I started actually as as a performer as a Bharatanatyam dancer to get interest in Indology and through Indology, I heard about my then professor Heitrun Brückner. She worked about the so-called Bhasa place, and she heard that some of them are still performed in Kerala. And she went to see them and um, she brought back some high aid and video movies, short clips, and I was very fascinated about that. And so I decided to go and see when I was still a young student to, to watch the performances. It was at the beginning of the 1990s and I fell in love with it. And since then, somehow I'm, I stuck to Kudiatam. I also was studying um, at Kalamandalam myself to become a performer. But of course, I'm very interested um, in all kinds of backgrounds. And that time I stumbled across Mantraankam and Ankuliankam, these two acts which are in the middle of our book. Um, they are, seem to be very old. They are very complex. They are very long. And um, so they are very interesting and much understudied. If I may Still. ask him. <laughs> <laughs> if I may ask, uh, they're understudied, but uh, with without question, your your this work goes a long way towards raising some awareness. Um, hence my interest actually in having you on the podcast because I think we need to learn about this. If I could ask a quick follow up uh, before we let David share his backstory, Heike, is um, what did you find the transition like coming from a dance artistic performative embodied perspective? 
and then toggling over or, or, or sort of um, engaging uh, in, in the logical studies. And in, 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 how did you find the, the contrast or complementarity or lack thereof? What was that like for you? Um, well, I think it, it complements each other. So you get different points of views. Um, the one as a classical Indologist, of course, you deal with texts and you learn to translate, you learn um, to have a look at the language very precisely. And um, this is done in Kudiatam also on the stage because the text is translated from Sanskrit into Malayalam, into hand gestures, and it is interpreted. And even the, the different um, families and schools which are there, they are discussing how to interpret texts. And this is what we know from India. We have this very vivid commentary tradition. And for me, also Kudiatam is like a, a moving commentary on stage. And it is um, constantly discussed and constantly also slightly changed. And, um, and this is something what makes it a living tradition, what makes me very fascinating. And on the other side, coming from the performer side, of course, you have another, again, another viewpoint on the stories and also about the way of enactment of, of text, um, how text can be um, explained, can be brought uh, towards um, an audience to make it understood on the one way or the other. I'm so very fascinated by that dimension because um, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> beyond being a, um, a scholar of the Puranas, I'm also a storyteller and new storytelling for teaching. And, and, and uh, you know, if I, even if I'm telling a, a tale of, of, of uh, you know, Vishnu or Ganesha or Shiva or from the Devi Mahatmya, there might be appearances of, for example, you know, wireless or or doorbells or or suvs in there or, or ways in which to or, or references to, to to um to what's happening in the world now and you know this is something that that really engrosses folks and teaches them in a sense but the but it, it's it's so uh, difficult i find for students uh, uh students in a western paradigm in particular wherever we're from you know it's so difficult to convey the idea that the text is actually the performance as is now mm-hmm. versus something that once was in vogue uh, decades centuries ago and that this is something that's that 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 i find fascinating uh, the the, the, the uh, what elements uh, allow a tradition to live what expectations on behalf of the audience what what innovations on behalf of the art form so this is uh, utterly fascinating to me but enough about me and my interests more about david and how david got into this project i, I think uh, just before i speak a little bit about myself uh, everybody who is uh, listening to the podcast should know that uh, haika is the world's authority on nangyarkutu that is to say the female form of kuriyatan uh, and she wrote a really important pioneering book about this so and we could also talk a bit about Nagir Kutin. it's a fascinating thing um as to how i came to kuriyatam i had seen uh, short performances of kuriyatam um two or three times in the course of i don't know some decades i guess um i liked it but i didn't really um feel the full impact of it these were short you know short means maybe two or three hours um 
but then in um, I guess it was in 2007 I was um, I was living in Andhra and there was a book release function in Kerala in Angamali uh, by a student of mine who published these Malayali uh, Jewish songs a whole corpus of songs from the Cochini Jews so that book was released in Kerala was printed in Kerala and I had promised her that I'd come down to be part of the book release, which I did. I flew in from Andhra, and um, I joined the conference. It was in the evening, first evening. And, and like happens uh, quite regularly now, they had brought a performer, uh, a woman called uh, Dr. Induji from uh, the Nepache group. And uh, she was performing Nangyarkuti, for this uh, audience of scholars who had gathered for the book release. Um, these days, because they don't have really so much scope for full-scale performances, um, very often it tends to be something like that, that is a nighttime, one, two or three, four-hour performance, um, uh, which they call kuti in one form or another. And, uh, you know, they've like reduced these massive monumental performances to just a few, few hours. So anyway, I... Um, I'd flown in from Andhra. My mind was still very much in Andhra and thinking in Telugu, but uh, I was there in time to see the Nangir Kuta performance, a beautiful performance of Putana Moksham, that is the Krishna's sucking the life out of the demoness Putana. And it went on for about two hours um, with the accompaniment of the drones. And I have to say the first hour, I hardly even noticed it. I was, my, I was still elsewhere. But the second hour, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, ever. And so after the performance, uh, we talked to Indu, the dancer performer, and she said, well, come to see us in the village tomorrow. It's the village of Murikulam, which is about 20 kilometers north of uh, Cochin. So we went. I was there, and my students and colleagues were there. Several of us went, and that was where we heard for the first time a kind of lament that we now know is a kind of um, recurrent uh, uh, conventional statement uh, with a certain degree of pathos because uh, we met them in the village, you know, and uh, they said to us, you know, we, we've been trained to do performances that go on for, let us say, 60 hours or 90 hours or 160 hours, you know, but we have very little scope to perform like that. Usually we're reduced to performing these two-hour or three-hour performances. To my mind, it was like somebody said, you know, if you wanted to perform the Beethoven Violin Concerto, and after the first three or four notes, it was finished, right? You know, you didn't get to hear anything more than that. So I I thought to myself, and also to, uh, I said to my students, you know, that we have to find a way to help these people uh, return to performing full-scale performances, which was now, at that time, relatively rare. I didn't know how to do this. Uh, I wanted to take our Sanskrit students to Kerala to watch these performances no, because there's nothing like seeing a Sanskrit text that you've studied seeing it in live performance it's a completely different experience you know so I went to the president of our university the Hebrew University and I said to him you know there's this classical tradition and it's hanging between life and death and I said I need some money to take our students there and to pay the actors something and to you know cover our expenses and um he gave it to us. He gave us $10,000. Menachem Megidor is his name. And he called it seed money. And indeed, it was seed money. We went that year, 2008. We saw one of the great masterpieces, the Ashoka Vanikangam. That's Act 5 of the 
Ascharya Chudamani. Um, Raj, we didn't have any idea what we were looking at. We didn't understand it. We were like, uh, you know, completely uh, overwhelmed by the beauty of it and the complexity and the richness of it. But we didn't really understand very much. But little by little, the actors taught us, you know, and we came to understand the structure of it and the technicalities of it. And we began to learn some of the um, Abhinaya gestures and so on. From that time on, um, we were going, you know, we've gone every year practically until Corona times. And after that initial time, uh, Heike and I um, won a grant from the, what's called GIF, the German-Israel Foundation, which supports joint projects between scholars in Germany and scholars in Israel. And so they gave us a grant, which allowed us to go for several more years, uh, each of us bringing, you know, colleagues and students um, to primarily to two of the major performing troops today. Um, this one, the Nepati group in Moriklam and the other in Kilimangalam, uh, where a great performer, Ramanash and Jack Gyar was uh, performing. And we shared the marvelous experience of seeing a full-scale performance that went on initially. The first one we saw was 60 hours, so we spent over 15 nights. Having said that, I also want to say it's important to say, because we're going to be talking about two texts, two major plays, that the aesthetic unit that um, we are dealing with in, in Kuryatim is never, almost never an entire play, as one would find it, let us say, printed in a Sanskrit book in the library. It's a single act taken from that play, and that act becomes a complete artistic whole in its own right with its own particular thematic drives and all kinds of, um, you know, whatever um, uh, sort of, let's call them cosmological, emotional, cognitive elements, which are proper to that particular performance, you know. And anybody who has seen a full Kuryatan performance and actually watched it in, in, you know, attentively knows that if you watch it over 14 or 15 nights, it builds up to an almost unimaginable climax. It's like nothing else I've ever seen. That first time in 2008, when we reached the end of the performance, um, our students, you know, they were crying. They didn't want to leave the Kutambalam, that is the performance space. They wanted to sleep there. All of us were very, very moved by what we had seen. and. Uh, it's a truly unique um, artistic um, experience, there's no question. So I was hooked on it. That's my story. <laughs> that is quite, thank you for sharing. That's quite the story. Uh, it's wonderful that you were able to, to your university was able to, to, to offer some patronage to this art form. Yeah, we were like, and, yeah. and, you know, think of, think of the journey one undergoes with any, any art form you use the example of a symphony earlier or a classical musical piece imagine the journey one goes on in a, in a classical symphony beginning to end and then you know it's, it's scarcely imaginable to sustain the massaging of one's emotions and awareness mm -hmm. and experience yeah it, it's like you think of a brilliant uh, you know, lavish, uh, some sort of haute couture meal you're eating where it's five courses and takes uh, two, three hours. But imagine chefing and uh, uh, that can um, uh, engage in and uh, uh, engage your palate 
for days. <laughs> what would that look like on the tenth day? What could you possibly be tasting? Mm. But uh, it's it's it really is unique. Would would you say that? Um, what would you say that the state of this art form is uh, in in modern times? Is it um, is it endangered? Is it thriving? Is it on life support? You know, how, how would you describe it? Um, well, I think it is very much alive at the moment, um, but still we have parts of it uh, which are endangered. So there are parts um, which um, which are quite famous, which are quite popular. People love to watch it. For example, Shurpanakangam, uh, when Shurpanaka comes as Ninam, when her nose, breast and ears are cut off. So spectacular plays, which are cut down to three, four hour versions. These versions are performed now um, after the declaration by the UNESCO. Uh, Kuryatam was um, in the first batch of the intangible heritage um, declarations. And um, since then, the number of performances has gone up a lot. Also, Chakyar Kuta is very famous. This is uh, the character of the Vidushaka, which has more or less um, formed an own subgenre in the Kuryatam complex, where he tells verbally in, in Malayalam um, all kinds of, of um yeah, Puranic stories actually, but uh, which are interwoven in some of the um, of the plays, and sometimes really they develop uh, an own um, an own sphere. These are common, but when we come to to plays which are more complex, which have a lot of flashbacks, sometimes flashbacks of a duration of several days. Or plays um, like like Mantrankam, um, which have the whole Ramayana embedded, which is told also verbally in in Malayalam. Um, these plays they suffer of uh, of space or possibilities to perform. They are rarely performed nowadays. Sometimes one single day uh, is taken out, but not for Mandrankam. It would be the case um, if you want to perform it entirely, it's one act and you need 41 days uh, to perform the whole act. And it's daily. It depends on the performer. It depends on the setting, but at least one and a half hours to six, seven, eight hours of performance. So it's really a lot. And um you find this kind of place mainly in the ritualistic setup of, of temples, um, of just a few temples, about a dozen um, in Kerala, which um, have Kuryatam performances as part of their ritual calendar. Not all of them are still functioning. Some have a gap of several years, then they restart, they may stop again. It depends also if performers from the right families, if if you want to call it like that. So you have to be from the right community, especially not only Chakya, Nangyar or Nambiar, even from the right family who has connections to that temple um, to be able to perform in these temples. And so this, um, this kind of performances, they stopped in the 1990s, beginning of the uh, 2000s, um, 
2000 years. But then there was also in this part a slight small revival. There are now just three, four young performers who perform outside the temples, but who also go back into this very special atmosphere and very special setup and have the opportunity um, to take up performances of these rare acts and in the full length. So additionally to what's happening on the secular stages in Kerala, but also um, internationally, they are traveling. They are invited, of course, um, to festivals, to conferences, um, and so on. Brilliant. What sorts of what sorts of methodologies are featured in the volume? Oh. <laughs> well, hmm? first of all, I um, I want to say that one of the um, kind of special features of this volume is the fact that it has a mix of the scholarly essays in a kind of ideological mode, uh, but also personal responses to the two major texts that we're talking about by um, actors who have performed and who know these texts um, in their bodies and in their hearts. And uh, it's a fascinating thing to see the interweaving of these two modes. Actually, this came out of a conference that we held in Trishur in 2015 when the actors were present, and I have to say the actors from the different surviving Kuriyatam uh, families that are still performing, that's not always so easy to bring all of these people together. <laughs> they were there, and then a number of scholars and some of our students were there, um, uh, connoisseurs of Kuriyatam, uh, uh, and uh, the uh, conversation was actually very, very rich and remarkable one, very lively one. It was in a kind of uh, blend of Malayalam and English, including uh, small uh, performance sequences, which mm -hmm. were also very beautiful. And uh, basically what we did was to collect the papers and edit them. And uh, and uh, here we have a volume. The idea behind it, however, was that we would pick these two great works. You know, uh, one could write a volume about any complete Kuriyatam text easily, but we decided to focus on these two long texts, Mandrangam, which, which um, you know, uh, Heike mentioned just a moment ago, and the Anguliankam, which is the sixth act of the Ashari Chudamani of Shakti Bhadra, a very classical play. And uh, these are very long plays. Both of them, the Anguliankam is 29 nights. Mandrangam is, uh, like I said, 41 nights, you know. Um, so to try to come to grips with uh, substantial work of art of those dimensions, that's a big challenge. And that's really what we were trying to do to establish what are the major features? How would we describe these texts? What are the structure of the performance? What are the major themes? What are the sources? How does the published, you know, Sanskrit texts, uh, how does it relate to the actual performance text, which in fact is indeed quite different? And all those kinds of questions, including these very personal accounts of uh, what these plays mean to the actors and also to us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I may add that we also have some of the um, lecture demonstrations and um, especially lecture demonstrations, but also some of the um, short talks um, of the performers. We have recorded them and they are uploaded online. So the link is in the book. And um, so it's, it's um, free to watch, but you have to find it. Um, it's on a hidden in a database at, at the Tübingen University. But um, when you have the link, it's easy to, to get access. So because not everybody was um, then ready to write something for the book, but we wanted to have especially their kind of contribution. And so um, we added this also. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Why was it important um, to, in, in what was it important given that this is uh, a primary scholarly work to include the voices of the performers. Should you say a bit more about that decision? Um, well, I could say, um, for one thing, you know, um, as it, we said this is a classical tradition and many centuries, you know, so <laughs> um, it's, um, it's as if we had a living and continuous tradition, let us say, in Greek uh, tragedy. You know, if you found on some island in the Aegean, if you found people performing Oedipus Rex, you know, in Greek, in a continuous, unbroken tradition going back to the time of Sophocles, you know, so that would be interesting in its own right. And for, for these plays, um, there's no doubt that the actors themselves, the Chakyas and Nambiaras, Nangyas, these these people are one major source of, um, let's call it, uh, an interpretative um, power and insight which they bring to the text. And um, the actors that we've worked with, um, they tend to be highly articulate, um, nearly all of them, um, especially in Malayalam, but also, also in English. And it's as if, I mean, they're in touch with, a you could say, a kind of living commentary Mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, embodied in no small degree in the uh, manuals of performance, the Arta Prakaram, which these families have carried down over centuries. You know, So these performance manuals, they tell you, first of all, they tell you what segment is going to take place at what particular day. There's a, you know, it's not, it's not as if they were sitting for 29 days continuously. It's uh, every night, there might be two, three, four, five, six, seven hours of Kuriyatam. They're in segments like that. So that's given to us by the um, the Atapurkaram also exists in the minds of these performers, and they've also studied, you know, with the great Kuriyata masters of the previous generation. People like uh, Manur Madhava Chakra was like famous exponent of Kuriyata. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's important to hear what the actors themselves understand in these plays, and it's a way for us also to test out our own reactions and feelings uh, feelings about it but it's also possible for us um, i think watching watching these performances you know over these um, longish periods of time it's also possible possible for us to ask the kind of questions that 
um, you know, analytical questions that Indologists might want to ask, people who know the original text, want to see uh, if some themes that we know are present in the verses or in the original text, how they're treated, how they're elaborated, uh, how they're um, reconceived or reconfigured in the course of the enactment, and um, what the um, play as a whole that we're watching is trying to tell us. These are questions that the actors might answer in their own terms, but we might also answer them in, in our ways of thinking about these texts. And I think that's, you know, part of the uh, the beauty of a book like this is that that kind of dialogue is uh, is possible. And I think it's important um, to give a voice also to the different um, families or the different traditions inside Kudiatam. Kudiatam is a very small tradition as such, but still uh, among it, there are uh, the, the family traditions. And um, there are constant discussions also about how to perform and how to understand uh, specific um, shlokas or specific small events, whatever, um, how to interpret it and how to show it. And these discussions are very uh, vivid and um, they make also one part of the, the life in Kuriatam for me. And so um, I think it's very important to give them the voice and to hear all the voices and um, they are voices of Kuriatam and it's a, it's a colorful bunch sometimes, <laughs> um, but um, this makes also, um, yeah, this makes the beauty of it for me. And this makes it also that it's a living tradition and, um, and a nice example of such a tradition, how vivid it is. And part of this colorful bunch are of course also the scholars, scholars from Kerala, scholars from other parts of India and scholars from abroad. There are Indologists who are looking at the texts then there are people come from theater studies or um, they have very different um, approaches. And so they look from different angles. And this is what also we try to collect in, in the conference, but then also in the book um, to to have to prepare or to um, to open up these different angles on these two acts, Anguliankam and Mantrankam, and allow different views on it. And these are just small glimpses and views, so there can be many more. And this is just also a beginning because both acts are very complex. They deal with Sanskrit, Prakrit, Malayalam, Manipravalam. Some odd type of Tamil is also there in some parts of it. So even the language level is diverse. Then we have different layers um, of um, development of the text. So it was not um, just evolving in one year and that's it. Of course, it was developing and it's still doing the same thing until today. And um, so it has different layers and um, yeah, it's so rich. We just had a few glimpses and a few um, um, a few topics what we were taking out of these acts and what we could um, highlight in the book. One of the questions on my, I typically have a list of um, uh, yeah, sort of standard issue questions and, and go with the flow. Uh, but one of my questions is admittedly broad and you can perhaps comment or conjecture in part or however comprehensive you, you'd like. Uh, but 
the question is along the lines of what is the function of this? Uh, how do, uh, what work does this performance do culturally, mm. religiously, spiritually? What is what is the work of this performance? And of course, there's there's no way that that might be another article or book. But if you can conjecture both as members, astute members of the audience, and and those who have benefited from all of these, mm. all the insights in this volume, what do you feel is being accomplished or done? What is the work of this art form? Um, so Kuriatum was a highly uh, classical uh, art form and uh, very conscience, conscious of its long history. And at the same time, um, sometimes they tell us, I've heard uh, Margie Madhu several times say that Kuriatum is the theatrical form which offers the actor the most freedom to invent and explore and improvise of any theatrical tradition. Um, so what does that actually mean? It means that on the one hand, they're very uh, committed to enacting the ancient text in the Kuriatum form that it is taken and crystallized in. And um, it has to be done completely correctly. In the case of Anguliyanka, in which there's a single performer on stage for um, about 27 nights, I guess, something like that. Um, and there's like a huge amount of text that he has to, or he or she, he has to know by heart. Um, really uh, many hundreds of Sanskrit shlokas, if not thousands. And there's a tradition that if he makes any mistake, however slight, even in mispronouncing a single syllable, then somebody in the family will die. So you can imagine the strain on the actor. Um, in the course of watching Angulyankam, I once said around day 21 or 22, I said to him, you know, it's a wonderful play. We love it. The only problem is that it's too short. And he laughed and he said, for us, it's not too short. You can see the strain that was involved. Um, but to, to try to answer your question in a more uh, kind of uh, proper way, I think I would have to say that um, I would say my point of what there are different aspects and dimensions of the performance that come into play at any given moment. Um, there is a certain ritual dimension. Um, there are there are scholars who think that the ritual dimension is not very critical, but I personally think it really is the um, opening evening, the Purapada. It's a highly ritualized moment in which the actor actually creates the universe within which this play is going to unfold. And at the final moment, after, you know, at the very last night, um, they take this world that they've built apart and burn it on stage. And um, they're ritual elements throughout that have to do with how to put on the costume, the vesham, and the um, the um, rather ritualized um, invocation verses and certain kinds of uh, movements and uh, mudras and so on. So that that's one piece of it. That's why, um, as Haikya said, um, temple performances of Kuriyatam still exist, and they are part of the um, annual temple cycle, Adiyantaram. Mm -hmm. 
But on the other hand, uh, if you were to ask uh, Margi Madhu, for example, he would say that the ritual moment, uh, elements are rather secondary and that um, they're interested in performing an artistic whole. So for him, it might be something like, you know, if we were to go to the theaters to see, I don't know, uh, Hamlet or Phaedre or, or La Traviata or something like that, and of course, spread over many nights. And within that, there's a tremendous um, expressive drive, which has very um, powerful uh, cultural meanings, things that have to do with um, the nature of the person. I myself think that Kuriyatam is a drama, a dramatic form of very extreme personalization or characterization. I mean, Heike mentioned the flashbacks, the nirvana, which may go on for many nights. In the course of the nirvana, you get to see into the mind of the character, not the actor, the mind of the character, and everything that is in that mind, you get to see his or her memories, his wishes, his fantasies, his desires, his hopes, his despairs, everything is there, everything that he knows, along with a lot of, um, let's call it Puranic material that is part of the repertoire that he keeps in his head all the time. All of that is enacted, externalized on stage. So in that sense, I mean, I, I think of this as a kind of yakti karana, that is this a real characterization in which the person also the persons uh, involved in performing and watching it are very present. I, I mention it also because there's a tendency to use the language of the Kashmiri uh, Orthodox uh, Arankara Shastra, the poetic notion that to go to a play, you know, um, Abhinavagupta says one is supposed to become at least um, to some degree depersonalized or universalized, sadharani karana. So, you know, here I think in Kuryatam, although they use that same language sometimes, you have something like the opposite of that. It's an extreme interest in character and the building of the self and the mind and so on. And with that come the great themes that are present in any of the plays. So in that sense, this is a cultural vehicle for expressing the particular culture-specific language-specific contents of um, Kerala, especially central Kerala. I think it's also important to take um, the, the audiences, the audiences in plural into consideration. Um, so um, you have um, an audience who is not educated at all in Kuriyatam. So neither understands um, Sanskrit um, nor the very complex hand gesture language, but still feels it's something beautiful going on mm. to watch that. And um, they roughly know maybe about the story and might be able to follow a, a rough line, but still some people go with this background to watch Kuriyatam. Then um, David mentioned that um, Kuriyatam is highly what we call classical. We have also very um, so-called folk parts in Kuriyatam, especially when the Vidushaka is on stage. He's a funny person. He um, addresses directly the audience. The audiences, um, usually um, he attracts more people to come than the so-called classical um, playing uh, characters 
um, from the local audience to come and watch and, and listen to the Vidushaka's jokes. And even, um, but it's not that he's just a funny person. A Vidushaka must be uh, very learned because he's dealing with different uh, Sanskrit and Manipravalam verses. And um, it's his um, ability to, um, to bring these together with the medieval society of Kerala and even sometimes um, with a very, um, um, with, with um, political or whatever events which are going on now at this point and um, maybe uh, to attend to address a person who is in the audience and uh, not directly, but in such a way everybody understands. And this is the high art of a Vidushaka to do that. But this is very, what we might call folk. And this is also um, one reason you might go to watch a Guriatam performance. Then I have uh, experienced in a, uh, performance in Varakunathan Temple in Trishur, so a performance which takes place in a highly ritualistic setup. An old lady was coming, she was just visiting the temple, most probably heard something is going on in the Kutambalam, in the theater hall where Kuryatam is taking place. So she came, she watched for maybe a minute most probably she had not really an idea what's going on on stage, but then she went around the stage Pradakshina and then she was going down in front of the stage, watched again for another minute and left. So it was just like visiting another shrine of the many shrines which are there in, in Badakunathan temple. So this could also be a point to watch maybe just a few minutes and not a full performance. Then... Um, it's interesting if you are a scholar of language to see how language is played with on stage and um, to learn about medieval Kerala society when you listen to the Vidushaka's long stories, you learn about history, um, at least um, when it comes to, to Ambalavasis, to Nambuderis, to um, the high caste um, Hindu society, you have a lot of uh, stories dealing with this society so you can learn about it. And uh, yeah, the ritualistic aspects are there. When a performance takes place in the temple, you have the pura part, so the very the leaving um, of or the yeah the leaving of a character from the play proper to enter to a flashback. It is done in the morning, and not in the night. Nowadays, usually we go to performances. They start at six thirty-seven, which is a nice time. Um, to start, to sit, to watch. But if you go to the temple early morning at eight o'clock, put apart. Then in the afternoon, when you usually everybody is tired, it's hot outside, the Nirvahanam parts take part, not in the evening. And then the Kuryatam proper, so the main part of the play, it may start at 10, 10, 30, 11 in the night only and last until four, five or six in the morning. So it's a very different atmosphere when you are in these daytimes in the temple. Um, this again is a different um, than experience what you have. And so I think there are many reasons to perform Kuryatam and many reasons to watch Kuryatam and to listen to it. 
Beautiful. Thank you both for engaging those questions. Um, before we close uh, for today, was there anything else about the volume that we hope we'd mention or touch on? Um, I'd like to go back for a moment, if I may, to the question you asked about the um, the state of the art and how the actors are surviving, what they feel about. Please, please do. Yeah, because um, in their perspective, you know, they have this uh, sense of um, living hand to mouth, and they sometimes will say this is the last generation of Guriata because there's the old um, patronage system has disappeared and the past. Um, they were Ambalavasis, that is to say, they lived off of uh, stipends from the temples. All the great temples had a performance space. That's all gone. And so they're competing now uh, in the open market with everything from Bollywood films through modern theater and uh, any other kind of performance genre. So it's difficult for them. And uh, they are different in this respect from Katakali, which is in some ways somewhat more... Uh, you could say immediately accessible to audiences in Kerala. It's in Malayalam, and uh, it usually doesn't go on for 150 hours. And uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, uh, and it's also the it's a strongly uh, musical event. Katakali, Katakali is uh, flourishing. Kuriyatam is surviving day to day, and they're looking, you know, um, desperately for sources of of support. I I don't share the pessimistic view that this is the last generation of Kuriyatam. I don't think so. Um, what I'm seeing, what I think all of us are seeing, is that the art form is actually doing rather well, but with usually relatively small audiences and with the continuous uh, economic struggle for survival. But I think, you know, let's say today in Kerala, if I ask myself how many fully trained, proficient Kuriyatam actors are there, I think there might be something like, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50. I could would perhaps know better. But I don't think yeah, there were not, that, more. not any more than that. I don't think there were that many more such actors even 500 years ago. So, mm -hmm. and I, the, the commitment and the energies of these actors and the tremendous power of the art form are such that I feel somehow confident and hopeful that it will survive despite the struggle which is certainly a part of their lives yeah i agree with you david so i don't think it's the last generation and um it's very very much alive so we still have the old repertoire which is kept alive but we have a lot of new plays um, for example you just mentioned that i worked on nangiar kuto on my phd it was back in the 1990s that time it was very clearly defined nangiar kuto is the nirvahanam so the flashback of the chedi in subhadra tananjayam second act um, and she tells the krishna story shri krishna charitam it is also called nowadays we have so many solo performances of female of a single female character um, all kinds of stories gita govindam and so they are coming up now, and all this is called now Nangyar Kuta. That's interesting to see um, how this tradition is opening up. So this is accepted by the community. So it is part of the tradition. And um, But still, it is always a negotiation of what is acceptable of new stories which are coming up or the usage of like Nangyar Kuta now for just 
any kind of story performed by a female performer solo on stage is now is this okay or not these things are there and so um and it's interesting also to see do these new plays survive and Actually, what do these new Ataprakarams look like? Uh, are they very much like the old Ataprakarams or do they also inherit or incorporate new features? And so it's very much alive. And um, how flexible Kuriatam is and how much it is opening up, this depends on the, on the Kuriatam, on the performance community also on the scholars but they are more outside so i think this is really um discussed and in in the performers community what's possible and what not but so it's very much alive and i think um it will survive and yes it has a it's always it was a small group of performers as david said and the group of performers even is growing, I think, nowadays, and um, it might never be a huge, a huge community. But so, also in my perspective, it it looks quite, um, uh, yeah, like having, um, uh, well, now I'm gone. <laughs> my English is gone. <laughs> no, I think there is a a future for Kuriatam. I'm sure for that. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope you both write. It seems to me that in general, the more refined an art form or anything, the more niche an audience, and perhaps mm-hmm. that is the case for this one. Um, it sounds like a, an extraordinarily rich um, negotiation um, between uh, tradition, stringent tradition, and, 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 and needful innovation. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you both for appearing on the podcast today. <laughs> thank you, Raj. Nice to Yeah, talk. thank you. <laughs> um, very nice to speak with you. So for those listening, um, um, we've been talking about two masterpieces of Kudiyatam, the, the, the link to the book, in, which, inc- which includes a table of contents and names of the contributors and contributions are in the podcast notes. Keep well, keep listening, keep reading until next time and, and keep contemplating, engaging, and maybe even patroning. Um, a powerful art form such as this. Take care.